To me, John, this is a fascinating moment in Timberwolves history where the Timberwolves have the best record in the Western Conference. We're talking here on Tuesday morning. Uh, they're ending a very difficult stretch that they've survived. They haven't always thrived in, but they've survived. And yet I keep getting asked questions, people around the state, fans, emailers, you know, what's wrong with the Wolves? I mean, it's it's like two completely different realities. On, on the one hand, objectively, they are headed toward what might be the best regular season in franchise history. And yet the reality of sports is that you're going to worry about every little worrisome development and every tough stretch. So where are you with this team right now? Are you more on the big picture? They're still in great shape or the small picture? It hasn't looked all that great the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I do think, I think big picture, uh, everything still looks really, really good. Um, when you you look at even the loss to Dallas, which I was in Dallas on Sunday, and that was a very winnable game, didn't quite go their way, but they were right in it to the end. The, the, the previous game at Houston was a great win for them because the Rockets absolutely manhandled Milwaukee the next night in their building. So um, that's no joke. Uh, so all in all, you look at this little stretch of games where they're five and five in their last 10 and um, and you but they remain in first place and you say things are good. Like things are they're they're They are in great shape. They've weathered this storm so far of this 16 game slate of 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 above 500 opponents. And they've done it at a at a good level, not a great level, but at a good one. Um, so in that respect, they are in good shape. I do under, um, that fans continue to have doubts or skepticism, or even just after a loss or two, kind of the old demons sit on their shoulder and say, here come the old wolves. Because, uh, for as impressive as they have been this year, which, and it has been very impressive for as much as it looks like this is a different team than so many of the others that have come before it, it's still only been 35 games. And so, you know, you, you, you can't really expect the fan base to just completely forget about all of the trauma, all of the uh, dysfunction, all of the disappointment of the last 20 years because you've had a good 35 games. And, and so there's going to be parts of this throughout the season. If they lose two in a row, if they are not 10 and two in every 12 games that fans are going to be concerned is, is the, are, are the real Timberwolves showing up here? And I just think that the only thing to neutralize that is success over time and proving it in the regular season, proving it in the playoffs. And so the wolves are going to have to navigate that part of the, this fan base um, deftly and, and, um, and not let that part of it get them to get into it too much just because there's so much scar tissue. That's, that's, um, that's built up here with this fan base. So I get it. I get why there's a little bit of nervousness, but from my perspective, being in the locker rooms, watching games and, and seeing this team perform on a night in night out basis, this to me feels just like a stretch in the schedule that happens to every single team where they're not their best, um, but they still can continue to grind out some wins to, to keep their, their, uh, their heads above water here. 
He's John Krasinski, and this is the John Krasinski Show, part of TalkNorth.com. Thanks for uh, listening. We do appreciate it. Best way to listen to this show or any show you like at the network, subscribe at your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studios. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, TSR Injury Law, and Head Flyer Brewing. Uh, so we will... I think we're going to separate things a little bit. We're going to let John do his eight-hour Ricky Rubio memorial uh, <laughs> on a separate show. Uh, we'll, we'll put that out as a mini series today. Yeah. We'll, we will mention Ricky Rubio. We just won't get into you know uh, you know we, we won't get into his elementary school basketball career. We'll, we'll keep it keep it more topical. But I know John's going to want to talk about Rubio. Uh, bigger picture right now. How like how's the business of the Timberwolves doing? Are they are they selling out? Are they selling a lot? Are they are they still kind of dealing with uh, some scar tissue with this fan base? Yeah, no. From from that aspect of it, Jim, um, it's been incredibly successful. When you talk to people at um at, you know on the business side of the operation, Ethan Kasten, the CEO, Ryan Tankey, uh, Jake Vernon, a lot of the guys, a lot of the people who are in charge of generating revenue are doing very well at their jobs right now because there is, you know, this um, worry from some fans that the other shoe is going to drop. But what we are seeing at target center certainly is just uh, a sellout every night. They've every game, every seat that they have made available has been sold. And I think we'll have Ethan Kasten on a little bit later this month to kind of talk about that a little bit more. But um, but the 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 arena is very lively. Um, tickets are hard to come by. The two Los Angeles Lakers games in December were the top two highest grossing uh, revenue games in franchise history, and that includes the playoffs. That includes the Western Conference Finals in 04 that includes the playoffs of the last couple of seasons. And, you know, obviously a lot of that has to do with ticket prices, right? Rising and, and every, and the cost of going to a game going up, but it also reflects that um, the fan base has shown a demand for the product. And so from that aspect of things, TV ratings, when I talk to the people at Bally's and, and, and everything else over there, TV ratings are up significantly uh, this season. There's been a lot more intrigue, a lot more interest in watching this team, even just looking at our metrics at The Athletic and you know the number of reads on a story and how many people are subscribing to read about this team. That's Those are all way up. So you can definitely see that if there, while there is certainly some worry or skepticism um, or, or wondering if this is going to... Uh, kind of flatten out over time, the enthusiasm in terms of buying tickets, watching on TV, consuming the product is all super high right now. And um, and I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. No. And uh, the atmosphere, I think, is, you know, you've covered a lot more Wolves games than I have, but I've been in the arena year after year. I started off, I went to a, I went to one of the games of the Metro when I first got to town. Uh, to me, the atmosphere feels really good. Yeah, we've seen I mean, we've seen some amazing crowds, just not only full full buildings, but like really into the games, um, you know, this year, the Lakers games were really tense. The, the Mavericks game um, in December was good. The Oklahoma City Thunder and the Boston games in November 
just kind of a couple that stick out in my mind of who's the crowds were on their feet getting after it. Um, and, and, and it was, it felt kind of more playoff. Like I remember, you know, the second Laker game in December when LeBron played in that one, um, people were in the arena 20 minutes before tip off. They were standing while the Lakers came onto the court. Uh, there was a real buzz, uh, in the arena and in the environment. And then once the game started, they're getting after it. And Rudy Gobert is hearing a lot of support where he did not hear that last year. Um, you know, Ant obviously gets them going when Nas Reed comes into a game. It's a party like it's it's really lively. It's been really uh, a lot of fun to be in the arena and soaking up that environment and just seeing a fan base that is starting to really believe that this team can do something a lot more significant than any of the teams that they have seen before it. So um, that's just been really fun to see that that crowd embrace it uh, and 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 ride this wave with with their team. Been interesting to listen to Ant talk recently. He's talked about wanting to be more aggressive. He said before one game, he decided he was to take all the shots. Another game said he needs yeah. to be more aggressive, more aggressive down the stretch. At the same time, he also the other night said, you know, I got to let Mike Conley uh, initiate the offense, and uh, you know, then I'm in a much better position to, to to score. Where do you? We don't have to pretend that everything every athlete says is gospel or even important, but we've heard some conflicting things from him and some interesting uh, dialogue. Where do you think his head really is, and and how should he be playing right now? Yeah, I think I think Ant's sort of. Um wavering or, or changing of the message from kind of one game to the next from, yeah, I got to put the ball in Mike's hands to, I got to, I've got to be more aggressive and take more of the shots kind of thing. Um, it is reflective of the perception versus reality of what's happening with this Timberwolves offense right now. And I think it is going to be really important for the Timberwolves and for Anthony Edwards to take the level-headed approach um, with some of these games. So, for instance, as you're referring to, we're we're in Dallas the other night, um, and they are up, they 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 really didn't play well for most of the game. They're down nine, down eight most of the game, and then in the fourth quarter, to their credit, they just put the hammer down, and it was Ant and Cat. It, uh, scoring all 19 points in a 19 to four run that put the wolves up six with like four minutes to go. And, um, and so you think, okay, they're going to steal this game. They're going to win a game. They probably didn't deserve to win because of the overwhelming offensive talent of Carl Anthony towns and Anthony Edwards working together to kind of pull them across the finish line. Well, over those next five, four minutes, the Mavs closed the, um, the, the game 15 to two and won the game. And you saw Carl Anthony Towns miss a couple of shots. You saw uh, Rudy Gobert have a couple of turnovers and you, Ant did not get a shot for like three minutes from when he made the last shot to put him up six to when they were already down five or six points again. And, um, or sorry, he had one shot and the one shot he took was he was facing a double team. He kind of forced a three because it looked, it was one of those, I haven't shot the ball in a while. I got to shoot it type of a situation. And so they lose the game. And afterward, 
You know, it was ugly. The execution was ugly. Everything didn't work. And after the game, Ant says he's left bullets in the chamber and he's got to take more shots down the stretch and it's got to be him. But, um, you know, I think that's a little dangerous, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, we have talked a lot this season about the Wolves offensive execution and how it has left a lot to be desired. I think they're 19th in the league in offensive efficiency right now. That's got to improve. And so you look at that, that they have to find ways to be more explosive, to be more dynamic offensively. But in close games, in clutch performances where the score is within five points in the final five minutes of a game, the Wolves have been really good offensively. They're, they're 11th in the league in offensive efficiency. That's not great, but when you have a defense that's so good, that, that's more than enough. They're, they're, um, their field goal percentage goes up. Their uh, three-point percentage goes up. Their turnovers come down. Like, even while we look at it, and sometimes it's ISO heavy, and sometimes, you know, you don't see a, a real smooth operating machine about it, um, they they have been very, very good in those moments. They have, they're an 11-3 and three in those uh, situations. That's the best record in the NBA. And the, the losing the lead on, in the fourth quarter on Sunday against Dallas had ended a streak Jim where they were 25 in O in their last 25 games when they had any lead in the fourth quarter, wow. which is remarkable in today's NBA where leads can disappear, you know, with a quickness. So, um, so if you look at all of those things, I, I think it's important where like, it, it doesn't have to be, man, we have to change everything. We have, I have to do more. None of this is working. So much of it is working, but it's just how you manage the game to game situations and they can do a little bit better. They maybe Edwards certainly deserved to get more shots uh, down the stretch in Dallas, but Carl Anthony Towns was shooting well and he missed a couple of open looks from three. Jaden McDaniels missed a wide open look from three. Mike Conley missed two open looks from three, they got great shots. They didn't go down. And so how Ant manages that sort of swing of emotion and plays like results versus process is going to be very interesting here and just seeing how they manage that because it is not as dire a situation as maybe it might feel to fans who are watching or even to some of the players who are in the middle of the game. Good stuff. And it's going to lead to my next question is uh, how does this line up? look against smaller teams. The Mavericks obviously play small ball, have two essentially great ball handling shooting point guards. Uh, first, though, we want to thank Aquarius Home Services. Uh, we're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Also, thank longtime sponsor, TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR-TIME, 612-TSR-TIME. saw Steve Terry sitting uh, courtside the other night. Uh, he loves his Timberwolves. He's also been great to us, this network, this show. Uh, they're just good people. Uh, they will take good care of you if you ever need their particular kind of help. If you're ever injured, just call 612-TSR-TIME. They won't charge you unless they win your case, and they win a lot of cases. That's why they're such a great success story. Now here's John on Head Flyer Brewing. Head Flyer Brewing, Northeast Minneapolis, uh, right off of 35W on Hennepin Avenue. And the guys over at Head Flyer are great people to work with, but most importantly, they're great people to drink a beer with. They have great beers at Head Flyer. Any kind of 
beer that you want, um, smooth, light drinking, easy, IPAs, seltzers, whatever you want, you go into Head Flyer and they're going to be able to take care of you. They are also really trying to be a destination spot for Timberwolves fans to go in, watch games uh, during the night. Um, on the weekends, they have a bunch of TVs. Their tap room is wide open. There's plenty of places to sit, a lot of room to to move around. So you can be comfortable in there while you're having beer, sitting with your friends, watching some of the games. I'm going to get over there pretty soon to see the guys again, check in and bring some Head Flyer beer home with me uh, in their growlers and their crawlers. Um, so you you don't just have to drink it there. You can get it filled up, bring it, bring it home with you. Also can find Head Flyer beer in metro area liquor stores as well. So keep an eye out for that. And every time you go in to watch the Wolves, to just kind of hang out with your friends, to have a happy hour with coworkers, tell them the John Krasinski show sent you. Head Flyer beer, Northeast Minneapolis. So they did have to play against a small ball lineup in Dallas. As you said, they they took command of the game. It looked like they should have won the game if they played their usual efficiency down the stretch. They do win the game. But did you see any potential trouble there for the Wolves down, you know, as the season progresses and maybe into the postseason? Are they going to have trouble matching up with small ball teams? Yeah, you know, it's um I I think that we have we saw earlier in the season when Sacramento went small and kind of spread them out. Um, when Oklahoma City did it, um, there was a, those those games. They looked like, ooh, the, you, this is a little troublesome for them for for chasing around smaller guys off of screens for for kind of being able to hang with teams that can hit a bunch of threes. That that was an issue. I actually thought in the Dallas game that was as close to their antidote for small ball as we are going to see because. Um, the, the Mavericks did not have Derek Lively, um, and, and he's even like not a big bruising center, but he's a, he is a, he's their, he's their main center. And so they went smaller with the white Powell. Um, and what you saw was the wolves really punish the Mavericks on the offensive glass. Uh, they had 18 offensive rebounds in the game. Rudy Gobert had six, Anthony Edwards had five, Nas Reed had four. So, um, they really flexed their muscle and and overpowered the Mavericks from a rebounding perspective. From a total rebounds perspective, it was 51-44. So they really handled their business that way. Um, they didn't shoot a great uh, percentage, and that's kind of what prevented them more than anything from, from winning that game. They shot 43% for the game, 31% from three. Um, and so... Uh, it was a kind of a make or miss game for them that way. But I think if they can really channel a lot of the effort that they gave in Dallas into all of their games against smaller teams, they're going to have success that way because Chris Finch talked about it when Rudy Gobert arrived. He said, we have to be able to stay big and have the discipline to not get played out of our uh, what we want to do out there. And I thought they did that. They, you know, they were down in the game for much of it, but over the course of it, they finally got control in the fourth quarter and used that size to their advantage. Um, and so, you know, I, you always get worried about if you were to play Luka Doncic in a playoff series, because he's a proven playoff assassin. Um, but from an overall, how do they match up with standpoint? I don't mind the matchup with Dallas. I think they can really, 
flex their muscle, assert themselves on the glass. And I think that that's one of the series that I would really think is in the Wolves' favor if they draw it. Um, Sacramento, too. I, I still believe that they are, they're the better team. They have a good matchup with Sacramento. Oklahoma City is a different beast. Um, but, uh, but I think actually, you know, the, what we saw on Sunday was a good kind of way for them to respond to small ball types of games and have a chance to, to really be really effective it while, while, while not changing the way that they, that they, that they play games to try to win them. We don't do a lot of just game related stuff here because we try to stay on bigger topics. But as we're talking here on Tuesday morning, the Wolves are going to play Orlando. Jalen Suggs has been shooting it. Just Bonchero has been great, but Jalen Suggs has turned it on as a shooter, which I think at his size, he was going to have to do to be a really valuable NBA player. It's been great to see Jim um, because he did really struggle to start his career. And you're starting to wonder, hey, is, is does his game just not really translate to the NBA level? Um, and so not only is he shooting the ball at a much better clip, which is obviously kind of really unlocked a lot of his effectiveness. But if you watch him possession to possession defending perimeter players, he is an absolute stud from a defensive standpoint you wolves the wolves fans will watch him tonight he will probably be on anthony edwards quite a bit and um i think that i really can't wait to watch the two of them go at it because uh suggs navigates screens as well as any guard in the league he is tough he's physical he's big enough to handle the bigger guards he's quick enough to handle the smaller guards and he really has become an all defensive type player and really been key to Orlando's early season success. They are, much like the Wolves, a very good defensive team with an offense that is still trying to come around. Um, but that 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 defense and all of the length that they have really does bother opponents. And Jalen Suggs is the tip of the spear of that thing. So he is a superstar from a defensive standpoint. And now that he is hitting shots, uh, he becomes a much more well-rounded player, and you absolutely see a pathway forward for him to be very successful in this league for a very long time. Uh, between him and Holmgren, and uh, you know Tyus Jones and Trey Jones, a lot of a lot of Minnesotans making an impact these days. And Oklahoma City looks scary right now. Yeah, they do. And I mean, we've kind of it was it's been kind of fun, Jim, because we saw all these kids coming up. And yeah, I, I remember going to uh, to watch. Suggs and uh, mm -hmm. and Trey Jones play against each other, and you know, yeah. I obviously saw Tyus play at Apple Valley. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yep, it's been it's been really good, and um, it's it's you know, you see these guys and you think, wow, they you know they are they they look like NBA players when they're at Minnehaha Academy, when they're you know at uh, Apple Valley or you know at, or all these places, and it's becoming less and less of a novelty to see Minnesota players in the league. I mean, I, I think that the talent in the state has been skyrocketing and, and you see these, 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 their kids, they develop their games and they, they just are blossoming in the pros and they go to big time colleges and play Gonzaga and Duke and, and all that. Um, and, and they do very, very well first round picks and all that stuff. It's been really cool, but, and you're right about OKC Jim. And just like as a matter of perspective, for Wolves fans who get a little nervous 
when you know um, the, the the Wolves are kind of in the middle of the swoon. Well, OKC just recently lost to Atlanta and Brooklyn back to back. You know, th- so these kinds of performances happen in a long season where they barely beat Washington um, the other night, and Washington's terrible. And so you know they're in a little bit of just like while they were gangbusters and they beat Boston and they beat New York and they beat the Wolves, and you're thinking, man, they are. Um, they look like the best team in the West. Now they've just dipped just a little bit. And it doesn't mean that they're terrible. It doesn't mean that they're frauds and that they're too young and that they won't be in it over the long haul. They will. It's just that in a long season, there are going to be stretches where you go five and five, where you lose two or three in a row and, and things like that. And just how you navigate that and, and not, and, and not allowing yourself to get swept up in the game to game nature of it, I think is is key for the perspective and probably for the sanity of, of fan bases everywhere. No doubt about it. All right, let's get to Ricky Rubio and 10,000 words or less. <laughs> tell me, tell me about Ricky uh, retiring and just what it was like to cover him over the years. Yeah. I mean, people, uh, longtime listeners to this show uh, will have no, there'll be no surprise, but uh, Ricky was my favorite. Like he, um, you know, we are in this business and we, you, you try to stay as, as, as unbiased and, and keep as much of perspective as you, as you can. But certainly, you know, in over the course of years, you develop relationships with some of these players, you watch them grow up, you, you kind of see them go through good times and bad times. And, um, and, and you have, you, you you connect with some players more than others. And uh, in 20 years covering this league, he's been the one that I've connected with the most. And so um, first from a personal perspective, to hear that he is doing okay after some of the mental health things that he has been through that prompted him to announce his retirement, I think that's first and foremost the most important thing. And from talking to people who know him and then hearing his message uh, last week is that he's on the road to recovery is is a great thing because I was very concerned about him when he decided not to play for Spain in the World Cup and when he decided um, not to start the season in the NBA you you wondered um, just where he was at from a mental standpoint because those things are so important to him but he's it sounds like he's getting back on his feet which is great. Uh, and, but when he announced the retirement, no doubt, um, I, I think I, I was not alone in just sort of trying to reminisce about his career. And, um, you know, he made it 12 years. He had two major knee injuries. He never really turned into the player that a lot of people hoped that he would be, um, when he, when he was drafted fifth overall, because I think because of the injuries and, and because of the uh, of a few things that he had to navigate, but he still made it twelve years, and I think that is not uh, not something that that happens to to everyone who comes into this league. So there's something to be proud of there. But mostly, Jim, I've just really been thinking a lot about his rookie season and how much fun Target Center was. Remember, he came to a team that was thirty two and 132 in the previous two years and the absolute lowest point of this franchise's history in terms of fan apathy in terms of just not 
having any hope at all about their direction, about being able to be competitive in the NBA, about wanting to even trudge into Target Center on a February night and watch them play a game. It was Target Center was dead. Everything was bad in it, you know, coming off of those two seasons. And then in comes this Spanish kid who has floppy hair and scruff on his face. And he just lit the place on fire. And the passes that he had, the how quickly he got up and down the floor, he, you know, the, the he was actually throwing real no-look passes and not the fake no-look passes <laughs> that a lot of players try to do. And the just the joy that was on his face, that was on his teammates' faces, that were on the fans' faces when they set when we when people saw that this kid was for real, that he was exciting, that he was fun. Um, it was such a just unbelievable moment in time for this franchise before he was injured against Kobe and the Lakers. Um, and I, that's what I really try to hold on to the most is just the effect that he had on that franchise and how much fun everyone was having in, you know, those four or five months before, before he got hurt. It was an absolute blast. And now that's like 12, 13 years ago. So people may have either forgotten or not been old enough or weren't even paying attention to it. But if you can just remember, or if you could have been there for that, um, I think that, you know, one of my absolute favorite times covering this league was Ricky Rubio, his introduction to this market and to this league. No doubt about it. Well said. I, I was lucky I got to see him play when he was a teenager against Team USA in the gold medal game. And I think it was Beijing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was re remarkable just to watch a teenager go up against the best pl NBA players in the world and handle himself well. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to Rookie. I'm glad he's doing OK. Uh, I know I was tough on him at times, but uh, care more about his mental health. I'm glad he's doing well now. And uh, congratulations to him on a, a long, you know, not just a good NBA career, but a great international career. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, um, all what we don't know yet, Jim is like, is he all done, done playing? Right. Um, or is he going to maybe play a little in Spain? I do think you know, he's a family guy. So I think being back home, around his family and friends will be good for him. Maybe he, maybe he would play a try to play, um, in, in Spain a little bit or, or maybe not, maybe it's all over, but, um, truly unique guy, truly unique character. And one of those guys who wasn't an all-star who wasn't, um, didn't win a championship. Uh, but no doubt, I think left an indelible mark on this franchise and, and he's still a fan favorite, immensely popular, and hopefully, I hope at some point in the next couple of years, he just comes back here for a game. And I'm not saying you you put his jersey in the rafters. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I do, I do think that it would be fun to just celebrate Ricky Rubio, um, say thank you for everything that that he did for this franchise, and put a smile on his face again um, once he kind of gets through the dark days as he put it and gets his kind of mind wrapped around whatever the next phase is of his life. Um, he deserves a, there, there should be a Ricky Rubio night at target center and where everyone can kind of come and celebrate and just have fun one more time with him. 
Yeah, I'll even grow my hair out for that one. Oh, <laughs> good luck with that. Well, we'll start yeah. now because uh, I, 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 I started it like ten years ago. I'm still working <laughs> on it. Uh, no, congratulations to Ricky. Good stuff from John. Thank you. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services. Thanks to TSR Injury Law and Head Flyer Brewing. Thanks to everyone who listens. We do appreciate it. And we'll be back next week to talk about what might still be the best team in the West. Mm-hmm.